Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback, and I'm on a mission to help high school coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I love playing sports growing up. From backyard football, to traveling basketball, to high school track and field, there's nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggled with health issues, and I know your athletes do too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. Have you ever complained that you don't have the right facility, that your coaching would be so much better if you were in a better location? Well, it's time for you to meet Anna Woods. Anna runs her own business and gym from a barn in central Kansas. That's right, Kansas. She is crushing it in the softball strength conditioning game and an awesome guest on the show today. Get your notepad out and listen to our conversation on coaching. For you, you just had a recent tweet uh, this morning, actually, how (laughs) you were never encouraged talking about social media. I can't get off it, right? Yeah. um, That when you were in high school, you weren't encouraged as a softball player to go to the weight room. And when I was in high school, I could say the same thing for probably all female athletes and for a majority of male athletes, especially those in in uh, sports like baseball things like that. Mm -hmm. It was almost like the weight room was going to make you worse at your sport. And obviously that's changed over the years, but talk me through that growing up. What led you to start getting interested in working out? Um, well, kind of a crazy story. So, um, I grew up in the weight room. Like my mom was an aerobics instructor back in the day in the eighties. And so I, she always jokes, I took my first steps in a gym. Um, but I think, I don't think it deterred me from pursuing that or being a part of it, but I think it was so much of my life early on. um, And it was only the aerobic side. So that was back when, you know, you didn't want to get too bulky. You just wanted to do the dance Mm -hmm. aerobics and and tone basically, you know, that was really my only, (laughs) my only exposure to exercise was the cardio fitness dance side of things. Cause that's what my mom taught. Um, and then once I got into high school and started playing sports, I, I played three sports for most of my high school, volleyball, basketball, um, and softball. I did some track in the summers, um, but mostly softball was the main sport. Cause that's what I wanted to play in college, but, mm-hmm. um, not, it just wasn't even discussed. It wasn't an option. I remember taking PE in high school, never the concept of weights. Like you just didn't even talk about it. It was, that's what the football players did and that's it. Um, and then my the summer before my senior year, we had, we got a new football coach and he started a strength and conditioning program at six, six to 8am, four days a week in the summer. And I remember they like asked those of us that were playing softball and some of those sports, like you girls are welcome to attend. And we were like, what? Really? Okay. You know? So I think we went the first morning and it was like, I had no clue what I was doing. I, I didn't know what box car was. I didn't know like what any of those movements I'd seen them before. But again, that's not what girls really did. Um, mm-hmm. 
so I remember we kind of had to learn and, and start with the bar and PVC pipe and those kind of things. Um, but then, like I, like I said, I remember the only reason I stuck with there was three of us girls that started. And some mornings I'd be the only one that would would end up going. Um, but I kept going because at first I just had a really huge crush on one of the football players. <laughs> so I was like, I guaranteed to see him two hours every morning. And that kept me going the first few weeks. And then after that, I started really getting into like. I started craving it like, man, the high you get from lifting and seeing the weights go up and I could feel myself getting stronger. Um, I dropped like, I think I dropped 12 pounds that summer probably. And I know my body fat percentage was way less. Cause I remember I came back my senior year for volleyball and coaches like, dang, I don't know what you've been doing, but like your body looks completely different. I was able to mm-hmm. play the front row a lot more. I'm not super tall. So I, I rarely played the front row. I was able to jump. Um, I just, felt completely different. And I remember I was like, man, I was always a strong, strong girl. Like I grew up, we live out in the country, we had horses and, you know, I kind of did the whole farm girl, country strong type Mm -hmm. of thing, but I never had a really good place to direct my strength. It was almost seen as a weakness for me. Like, oh, you're the strong, thick girl, you know, that can lift lift (laughs) a lot of heavy things, but it was never seen as a positive. In my opinion, I, I was almost embarrassed by being strong. And the weight room, I remember I was like, all right, now here's a place where I can use the strength to be an asset to me, not an embarrassment. Um, and I was hooked after that. Um, I went on to play college softball, lifted all through that. After I graduated, I tore my ACL my sophomore year, had to rehab, really got into the concept of corrective exercise, PT, um, the importance of not mm-hmm. just going to the gym and lifting for appearance, but I really need to know what I'm doing if I want to be able to continue to to be athletic for long-term. So that was kind of the turning point in my career of um, a little specializing a little more and starting to understand lifting. Um, Actually, I started as an art major in college and I ended up switching my major at that point um, to exercise science. Uh, Why'd you want to be an art major? Why'd you want to be an art major? Um, Because I'm actually really artistic. I like painting, drawing. I do a lot of writing. Like writing's probably my biggest outlet. Um, at some point I would like to write a book. Um, so it's always been graphic design. Like that was my hobby, I think. And once I got to college, I was going to pursue graphic design as kind of my major in art. And I realized I only liked art when I was inspired to do things, not when I was told to have to do things. Like Mm -hmm. art for me has to be authentic and, and something I feel led to do. And I really started hating it because I had all these deadlines and, and I realized, art was better for me to stay as a hobby. And um, I feel like I could apply the concepts of art to programming, to communicating, to writing programs in the strength and conditioning world. Um, And so I always say now I get to blend both because to me, programming and and cueing and working with people is is an art form as well. So I just get to do it differently. So a lot of athletes that I talk to, I usually bring up school and we talk about favorite class, least favorite class, and least favorite tend to fall into either it's either like math or it's like English and art. And they always say with English and art, like they're forced to do things. They don't <laughs> have like this creative window. Uh, yeah. With the athletes that you work with, do you see that as well when they're forced to do something, whether it's in school um, or, or outside of school, they tend to not like it as much. But when they're giving the, the platform to be creative and, and express themselves, they do a lot better with the task at hand. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's that whole rebellious 
mindset. If you're telling me to do things, I don't want to do it. Um, I see that, especially in the younger kids that I work with. Well, why? (laughs) You know, they automatically want to like push back on, on those things. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, my college athletes, especially the girls, we want a diet plan. Will you give us a diet plan? We, I'm like, no, you don't actually want a diet plan. You know, that I'll give you one and you're going to do everything opposite of what I, what I give you. Because most <laughs> people so don't true. want that. Um, right. So, yeah. We want to be told kind of what to do, but not how to do it. We want like a framework, but we don't want yes. to be micromanaged and all of these very specific and it creates that opposite effect right like if you tell me exactly. hey you need to be quiet right now all i want to do is talk <laughs> yeah jab. you only fixate on the thing you're told not to do and i don't think that changes as we get to adult it might actually get worse as adults because we <laughs> yeah. feel more entitled to our own decision making so i don't know if that yeah. that trait ever leaves us for for better or for worse <laughs> it's probably healthy to some extent Cause I like, especially my female athletes, like I want you to advocate. I want you to question things. I want you to push back, but then there's a line of respect that has to be uh, honored Mm -hmm. as well. When, when training with your athletes, do you ever give them that freedom to pick, Hey, like here's three exercises, pick one, or Hey, here's the, you know, end of the, uh, end of the session. Like what fun drill do you want to do? Or, Hey, you guys lead the warm up. Do you ever give that freedom to them in training? Yeah. Um, I actually just started implementing that this year. Um, so especially in the fall, so like softballs are in, in the spring is our main push season. So in the fall, I let them have a little more lax in what we're doing. So like on leg day, I'll give them three versions of squats that they can choose. Uh, so whether it be front squat, goblet squat, or, um, landmine squat or something like that. I think we did single leg single leg front squat and goblet squat. I let them choose. They had to keep the reps mm-hmm. and stuff the same, but they could choose. We did the same thing with um, pressing um, and then one uh, deadlift version. Um, Cause one of the things we talk about a lot is, and I know I experienced, so I try to coach my girls a lot on that, especially the college athletes is like, once you're done playing a sport, like you kind of lose your identity for a while because Right. At least for me, I was an athlete all growing up. And so for 20 some years, I had somebody telling me what to do, how to work out. And and I had a reason for doing it. And then you graduate and all of a sudden you have this blank page of like, I don't know how to work out just for my own fitness. And I don't know what lifts I should be doing. And so especially as my girls start getting into sophomore, junior year, I give them a lot more freedom. Like, here's what your body's best designed and squat version, like based off your build or, or squat assessments. And then now you can choose um, because I want them to start being able to program for themselves a little bit um, mm-hmm. in some ways. So yeah, I do. Now that we're getting ready to buckle down and we're in the grind of preseason, I, I kind of rein that in a little bit because there's specific things I need them to be strong for in their positions. But um, yeah, definitely give them freedom. I know like with the younger, the boys that I coach that are high school, We'll have one day a week where I call it bro session and I'll be like, you can bro out. I'll let you pick three. Yeah. Live, you know, usually ends up being some version of curls and, and bench press, but um, I was going to say curls, bench press and make some abs in there too. Exactly. Body muscles. Uh, Uh, So I'll let them kind of do that at the end. Mm -hmm. We call it our bro sesh, but um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a couple of their coaches do that. Like, you know, once a week, last 15 minutes, like do what you want. And I think, yeah, I think they're the buy-in is there, right? So it's like they they know they're going to get their pump in. They know they're going right. to work the muscles they want to. 
And if you, it's kind of like, here's dessert after eating this healthy meal, like a little bit of reward for doing the things I I think are best for you. Um, Meeting them where they're at, right? So so many times as coaches, like we're up here, we're trying to bring everyone up to our level. It's like, sometimes you gotta meet these athletes where they're at, whether it's playing the music they want to listen to, whether it's giving them time to do their own thing, whether it's like scrapping the warm up and like, hey, we're gonna play spike ball for 20 minutes and get your guys' energy going. It seems like really good coaches do a good job of of finding the pulse of the room, finding the pulse of the team, seeing where these athletes are at, um, and help them buy in. Because I think we forget sometimes not every athlete likes a weight room as much as we do. Agreed. And find it, right. Um, and I think I I think it's really hard to because for most coaches the weight room was a way for us to get better at sports because we weren't the best at them. Yeah. Some of these athletes are really good at their sport without the weight room. It's hard to picture it from their perspective because that's all we've known is a little bit of the struggle. Okay, I got to work extra hard to stay on the team to get a sparring spot. Where some athletes, they walk in day one and they can start and and be all conference. So it's hard to see that perspective. Yeah. Well, and get the kids to think long term. Yeah. You're in, you know, you're in a field where you're helping athletes rehab you're invincible at that age. So I'm not going to get injured. I'm not going to, you know, and then as we progress, at least for me, I've experienced multiple injuries and you're like, if I'd have known that, if I'd have done that, um, I, I could have avoided probably some of these things, but trying to help kids understand that also is, is difficult. Like you say, especially when they're naturally talented. Uh, injuries are a great way for us to, as coaches and as therapists to learn. It's like, Oh, I've done this the same way for 10 years and my hip keeps hurting. Maybe I should do it a different way. And and you, hopefully other people don't have to learn the hard way, but, but sometimes they do. Um, another big aspect of your life is working with adaptive fitness. And I think that is one of the coolest things that you do. And everyone else in that industry does is working with people who need a lot of attention, a lot of help, and a lot of support. Can you kind of talk me through how you got involved in that and how that experience has been for you? Sure. Um, it's a really long story, so I'll try to shorten it up. But um, I, so my passion and heart has always been right out of college with special populations. I created multiple programs for um, strength training programs for uh, nursing homes and retirement communities, like right out of college. And I go in and I train the PTs, OTs, and the RAs, like how to lead strength training exercises with elderly. Um, I did that for many years. And one of the OTs there had an older sister or a younger sister who had Down syndrome. She was morbidly obese. She had lupus induced or obesity induced lupus and a lot of things. And she's like, would there be any way you would be willing to like, just try to work with her a little bit? She's pretty high functioning. And I had limited experience with, with people with developmental delays at that point, but I was like, sure. Like, I would love to try. Um, so I started meeting with her twice a week. Um, she lost 85 pounds in the first year, um, was able to get off all her blood pressure meds, off her lupus meds. She was able to start competing in special Olympics again. She was in her early thirties at that time. Um, and she became like a family member for us, basically. Like I had one child at the time and she was at her house. She, She was there when my second daughter was born, like became a huge part of my family. Um, And so because I started working with her and having good results, the the day service that she goes to for her work, I started working with a lot of the clients there and developing programs then for adults with special needs for their 
community centers to start implementing. Um, and, and so in the middle of that, we ended up actually adopting my son and my son has Down syndrome. He was two. Um, so she was a huge impact on the adoption of him. Wow. And then now it's become a personal, a personal thing. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, he's going to have a constant battle of obesity and sedentary lifestyle. And, and so I've been developing these programs since about 2007 is how long I've been working with most of my adults. I still work with, and then him included now and his friends and peers, but, um, I've developed programs with ACE, uh, adaptive fitness programming that we just launched this year for trainers and coaches to, and educators to learn how to implement adaptive fitness into their PE, into their, into their personal training, into their strength programs. Um, and then on the flip side, helping parents learn that have a kids with special needs, learn how to advocate for their kids to be able to participate in weights classes and mm -hmm. in a, in PE. Um, cause a lot of parents I'm realizing don't even know that that's an option for their kids to participate. Um, so how you can legally add that into your IEP and get those minutes included. Uh, so trying to work on both sides of it, uh, in the education system and then outside of it as they transition to adult life. But so yeah, personal and professional passion for sure for me, um, to implement that. I think it's an under, underserved area for sure. And I think it's not because of there's lack of interest. There's just lack of education on it. So a lot is, of parents yeah. are pushing for inclusion, me included. Like we know our kids with special needs learn best by being in peer related classes and being in programs with peers that are like them. They, they learn best that way. And so the more parents are learning this and pushing for their kids to spend less time in the, in the special ed room and more time in regular classes, the more us as coaches are going to have to be educated and, and be prepared for these kids being in our regular ed classes for strength. NPE. So when working with a, with a kid with developmental delay, what are some things in the weight room that you have found to be very beneficial from them in terms of like exercise selection or, or kind of uh, organized play? How do you kind of direct those sessions? Um, a lot of trial and error. Um, and it depends on their diagnosis. So like my, my kettles, I try to get sure. the kids to come in depending on their functional ability. Okay, so like nice. when I have a class of kids that come in with their peers and I know there's two or three that are either um, on the spectrum, have ADHD or have autism spectrum disorder, we bring the music way down or I have them bring like ear protection or something along those lines. And then I ask them, like I sometimes think we forget they can communicate. Um, do you want music on today? Do you not want music on? Or I'll ask their parents like, how's the day going? Um, and so on those days, we do a lot extreme repetition. Um, and for people with developmental delays, some sort of manipulative in hand is very helpful in keeping them focused. So okay. whether it's a PVC pipe, it might. And then the whole the whole class will be focused on whatever that implement is. So one day it'll be we're using bands today and I give everyone bands and the whole class revolves around using resistance bands. The least amount of transitions that you can provide is usually mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. um, and then having an object to transition with helps a lot. So sometimes we'll do like the sliding discs or we'll use paper plates if we're in the carpet and do all sorts of like sliding manipulatives on the wall, on the floor, on the mats. Um, we'll use PVC pipe. And as we progress, they'll use barbells. A lot of my clients now are using barbells um, or an implement that mimics barbells. I, I think I posted a video this week 
where I took PVC pipe and I put beans in it and then I capped the ends. And so my girls that are in wheelchairs are actually doing bench press with nice. the capped PVC pipe while their peers are doing bench press on, on the benches. Um, Cause again, they want to be treated just like anyone else. And so I try really hard to, to make sure that what they're doing is very similar to what the rest of the class is doing. Um, yeah, those are probably the main things. And then repetition, 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 especially clients with Down syndrome. It takes them sometimes two years to learn an action step without having to be like constantly cued. So mm -hmm. we literally will do the exact same program reps, sets, lift. We'll add weight as we go, but maybe sometimes a year and a year and a half. Um, oh. And they're okay with that. I get extremely bored and I have to fight the urge of like, oh, let's do something new today. But, but that's how they learn. Um, is through extreme repetition and visual. They need to see it over and over and over again to learn it. Um, a lot of people with developmental delays, um, because they have developmental delay, we can't over cue. I always say this makes my cueing better with my other athletes because mm. one or two words are all they absorb and then it's typically a 10 second delaying process to process. So every sure. time you re-cue within that 10 seconds, the processing starts over again. And it gets extremely frustrating for them if you're like, all right, back flat, get your feet down, shoulders down and back. Like, you can't. You just have to be like, let's squat, keep your whole foot down on the floor. And then I have to step back and like, let them process that, let them process it, let them struggle with it a little bit, and then maybe provide a cue a minute or two later. Um, but the, the cueing is also really important because they – I always say they get a train wreck in their brain when you're continuously queuing and they can't okay. process it because there's a delay in processing. It, I mean, it takes typically 10 seconds for them to process the last two words you say. Um, and so those two have to be really important and then you have to shut your mouth <laughs> and it's extremely hard, but. It's hard as a coach when you have so much, you know, wisdom and knowledge to offer but you, you're there to give them the best experience. And it seems like you've, you've done a really good job of learning. Like they're teaching you what they need, right? And it yeah. seems like you've done a really good job learning, whether it's the music, whether it's, you know, 52 weeks in a row of a PVC <laughs> bench pipe. Yeah. Um, I, get, I get antsy after like three weeks of the same thing. It's all right, let's change this. You know, it's like some of that just like consistency, repetition like let's let's simplify um but it seems like that's transitioned over like you said to working with your other athletes where you're 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 cueing less but you're being more effective with those words um and i think that's great for all coaches i think too often we can just talk 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 mm -hmm. and the athlete's not really improving because they have no <laughs> idea what a posterior pelvic tilt is right so um, <laughs> <laughs> they have checked out when you, when you get up in the morning and you have uh, a full day of coaching, um, are you seeing it as like, I like I'm here to serve others or are you seeing it more from like, you're more like me focused. Like, this is what I have to do today. This is what I need to get done. Like, how do you view your day? Like what lens do you have when you get up in the morning? Um, most often serving others, I would say. Um, I always say that's my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. Um, I've learned to coach very intuitively. Like 
I'll have a plan and I've scrapped it so many times mm-hmm. that kind of like you alluded to it earlier. Like when I walk in a room, I'm instantly reading the energy, looking at eyes, reading body language, um, at, just chit chatting with them. And that's going to determine what we do that day and the intensity, how long and how I approach the motivation of the room. Um, so I think for me, I'm constantly trying to ask myself, how am I best going to serve them today? How am I best going to get them a step ahead today? Um, And I'm constantly wanting people to leave my room feeling better than when they came in. Um, Mm. And so that doesn't always mean squatting heavy and running sprints. (laughs) You know, there's been a few times where I've read the room, like, like before break, the softball girls came in and we, I scrapped everything, put all the weights back and we went and did Zumba for like 30 minutes. Um, and they're all looking at me like, what? I was like, I just, we don't need to be on our loads today. Like I can tell you, Mm -hmm. and they still are like, you don't know how much we needed that. I don't know how you knew Mm -hmm. we needed that. But like, that was the most fun. I like felt more confident going into my test that afternoon. Like I didn't have the stress of, of the weight room that day. Um, so I think for me, it's very much, how can I best serve, serve others? I probably put myself second, maybe a little bit too often. Um, but like I said, I always say that's my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. So the reason I ask the question that way is most days I wake up and I'm like, all right, what do I have to get done today? Like I have a podcast, I have patience. I need to see, I need these, send these emails and I need to get all this done. I am helping people, but I'm yeah. seeing it from my perspective. Like I need to get this done for me so I can get better, so I can get paid, so I can promote myself right and there are times throughout the day where i start to see it from what do they like what does anna need what does this patient need what like something beyond uh like what i absolutely like my like the minimum for me and -hmm. when i do that it's it's just so different because you're willing to give more time you're willing to give more effort and you're willing to do whatever they need and not just what you need. Um, and I've really tried to focus on that the last couple of months. And it's hard. It's it super hard because there are so many things um, that I can do in a day for me. Right. But that doesn't mean that's going to help everyone else the best. Um, yeah. So that's something I've really tried to work on lately. And that's why I asked that way. Because a lot of good coaches, they do serve others. They don't care what time the kids need to work out. They don't care mm-hmm. what you know, how late they need to stay. They don't care um, what they need to sacrifice to, to get their family and their athletes and and the community that they serve into a better place. And I just think that's really cool when people are able to get to that next level to be a service for others. Yeah. I think that's something that comes as age, as you age too. Um, And I don't know if you have kids or not, but I think once you have kids, you learn, you learn that value lesson, I mean, you have to. And so I think it eventually starts carrying over into all areas of your life. Um, you start seeing person yeah. first and in relationships and um, you become a lot less selfish, I guess, in that way. So I have heard once you have kids, you, you don't realize how selfish you were with your time. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I, I don't have kids yet, but I, I can only imagine that because um, they they absolutely need you. You know, twenty four seven, and um, I think it's really easy as uh, sometimes younger coaches we get oh like 
you got to do these 25 things in a day. And it's like, wait till you have three kids and a (laughs) mortgage and and you'll be kind of saying things a little different perspective, right? Um, Give yourself a lot more grace. That's for sure. And others, I think as well. So jumping back over to training when, so you predominantly work with uh, softball players. Is that correct? Yeah, for the collegiate level, as far as in the school, yes. Um, private sector, I work with with all ages and and kids at my own gym, and then um, and then I also work closely with our local high school. Like I don't do a lot of the hands on, but I help the coaches with programming, with with summer, like kind of as a mentorship, I guess, with the the, the high school coaches for them to develop their programs. Um, and we're actually working on some curriculum right now too, which is cool. When a newer athlete or, or client comes and works with you, what is their uh, level of knowledge of, of working out and training at? Is it better than what we were 10, 15 years ago when we started? Or is there still a large gap between what the average person knows about training and, and what they need to know? That's a really good question. I think I think they come in with more knowledge because they have more exposure to like Instagram and TikToks, but I think the knowledge they come in with isn't necessarily better. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. They have, have more information with less foundation. Maybe <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like I, I just started a series on TikTok for my college girls because they always come in. I saw this Instagram influencer talking about, I think this week I said one on, um, building a big booty, like how do we get our butt bigger? <laughs> and she said to do these three exercises and I'm oh like, show me what it is, you know, and then yeah. you're like, Oh, you know, slapping yeah. your forehead. So I like, I told them, I'm like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to meet you in the middle on this. Like this is an exercise that can be utilized, but let me show you how to do it in a way that's going to be more effective for power output, mm-hmm. athleticism and less low back injury. Cause <laughs> What she showed you is a whole lot of loading the, the spine. What I really would prefer you to do is learn how to use the glutes and hamstrings posterior chain more effectively. So um, I don't think 10 years ago I'd have had kids coming in the weight room that even knew what the hip thrust was or a glute bridge mm-hmm. was. Now the kids know it, but this may be a little more reckless in that they don't know how to do it or why they should do it. So I don't know if that answered your question, but a little bit of no, that, that absolutely maybe. does. The one I always think of is like the person on a stair climber and they're doing like leg kicks backwards or uh, sideways. Yes. <laughs> and it's like that will get you tired. I guarantee right. it. Uh, especially if you do it for, you know, hour and a half, but oh, I don't man. think that's, that's uh, rowing in the same direction. We're trying to get our boat yeah. um, to, to end up and, and going. So uh, kids are funny that way. Um, yeah. How, how is your, experience been with social media in terms of uh both from a business side and from connecting you kind of mentioned a little bit connecting with your athletes so i guess from a business side how has social media been for you it's everything that drives my business probably um because i have an online app so I, i coach people online also so in that respect i have to be present i have to be knowing at least on instagram all of my kids follow me on there. They're, they're DMing me reels and, and things like that. So trying to remain relatable to them and provide value to them that is going to educate them and keep them excited. And, you know, for me to remain relevant as a source of information, Mm -hmm. um, it's huge, but 
and then growing my business like Facebook still, I don't love Facebook, but it's probably still where our, my biggest market is in terms of bringing in private sector clients and, mm-hmm. and athletes. So, and then in Twitter, I've had Twitter forever and not at, at all. I like going waves being on there and not being on there. But now that I'm more involved at the collegiate level with softball, like it is hands down one of the best recruiting recruiting tactics as a, as a strength coach and getting my athletes out there that are looking for colleges or that college athletes I have now that are wanting exposure for the next level. Like I'd say the benefits far outweigh the negatives for sure, but there's always the few that are frustrating or um, whatever, but yeah, definitely an important part of any part of your coaching career. So. We'll keep posting on Twitter. That's the I tell my guests all the time. If you're not on Twitter, I'm, I'm probably not going to find you, and <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't learn from you. So yeah, um, definitely stay on there. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier with kind of low back pain if you're doing certain glute exercises wrong, mm-hmm. and a big focus of the podcast is keeping athletes healthy with training programs. Um, how do you handle injuries when they when an athlete comes in? Let's say they have a bum ankle, uh, and they come for for a workout. How do you manage their expectations of what they what they can and can't do during a workout with you? Um, one, I try to remain extremely open communication with whatever physician or PT or athletic trainers working with them. Mm-hmm. So I always, hey, either have them send me what, what you need to be working on, what the protocol is, or I'll communicate with them directly because I want to very always keep an open communication with, with the the doctors or whoever they're working with that are giving the protocol. Um, and then from there, then we work together on modifications, um, whatever that might be. I usually try to incorporate them in the warm up. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is when I want you to work on these things. Um, in my experience, I, you have all different referrals. So I'll have some come in there. Like I sprained my ankle. I saw my family doctor and he said, I can't do anything for three weeks. <laughs> it put me in a boot, you know, and then, oh, don't then get it's me, started. me going, maybe <laughs> we should see a, an ortho or someone that specializes a little more in, in uh, injury specific things right. and try to educate the athlete on advocating for themselves. And usually most often they'll come back and they'll be like, yeah, they told me I need to be loading it. I need to be getting blood flow into that area. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a hard balance um, because I've been thrown under the bus before. And then also I've personally pushed too much on injuries, but so it's give and take a lot, but educating first, like rest isn't always important. I'll send, I'll send people articles or, or things like that. So it's not just coming from me as, right. as the source, but I spend a lot of time working on corrective in the warmups, uh, modifications and lifting, helping them realize that sitting and watching the strength conditioning session that day is not an option. There's always something they can be doing um, and try and help them realize that they're helping their team as well, not just themselves by, by staying active in some way, shape or form. So I use a lot of, I've had a, the physician that I work with here in the office and, and I've been to multiple centers. Like I use a lot of components of DNS. Like I love dynamic neuromuscular stability as a resource for, corrective exercise. So I always go back to the developmental positions in some way, shape or form to, to get the athletes doing something. So that's probably my go-to as far as rehab in terms of the first thing that we'll address usually. So I'm still surprised when patients come up to me and they're like, yeah, I met with the surgeon 
and he thinks I need surgery. Yeah. Or they'll they'll go to a trainer and they'll be like, Yeah, my trainer thinks I need to work out more. Or they'll come to mm-hmm. PT. It's like, Do you think I need PT? Like, yes, of course you do. Like I'm right. a therapist. Of course, like you're going to get the advice based on who you ask information yes. from, right? So yes. and I think the best, the best uh providers and clinicians and trainers know when to refer out, you know, hey, like this is something that might require surgery. Hey, this is something that might require PT. Hey, I know this really good trainer. You should go talk to her yep. and she can help get you started. So I think that is getting a little bit better in our fields. Um, but it still kind of shocks me when uh, they're like, oh yeah, like I talked to X person and they gave me X advice. It's like, well, of course they did. That's what they do. Like, what right. were you, you know, were you expecting something different? Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just a little bit of the educational piece we can be a little bit better at for the general right. population. So when they do, and this is why I advocate so hard, if you are a coach or an athlete, you should have a strength and conditioning coach that you can talk to if you want to start training or if you're hurt, what do I do with my training? You should have a therapist. You can email, hey, I, I sprained my ankle. What do I do? And you should have at least an idea of where to go if you need like immediate surgery, if you have an ACL tear or something like that you should be connected for the best interest of yourself and your athletes. Um, Cause that stuff happens, right? Yeah. It's, it's not with the, the downside is one of the biggest downsides of sports are injuries happen. And what do you do when that occurs? Or yeah. uh, at some point, you know, whether it's like, you know, 12, 13 seems like the common age for kids to start lifting weights and working out. Yeah. Like, where are you going to go? Are you going to have a trusted source or are you just going to go to the closest gym towards you and, and see what happens? Yeah. Uh, it seems like you do a really good job of of educating people both in person and online so they understand what to expect when they come work with you, but also that you're a great resource um, for a lot of different people yeah. to improve their health and, and ultimately their fitness too. Thank you. I think that's great advice. Like you were saying, I was just thinking about that, like having a network like as a coach, I immediately try to find the five or six people in all of those different areas that are in my back pocket of like, mm-hmm. this is a great PT. Like this is a great chiropractor. Here's, here's an ortho that specializes in shoulders. Like um, people I trust I've, I've communicated with understand their philosophies and like, um, yeah, that was a really good point that you made about that. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Anna, for taking time to be on the podcast. I appreciate your insights into training. Keep doing awesome work with with the population that you serve and uh, look forward to, to interacting with you in the future. Same to you. Thank you for having me on.